Father, in this world where truth seems to be so relative, your word is our foundation. In this world where love is but a flickering flame, your love is a constant ember. In this world where power is widely abused, your quiet strength works for justice. In this world where law is enforced from the outside in, your rule is from the inside out. In this world where peace is misunderstood as an absence of conflict, your redemption is a voice of calm amid the storms of life. In this world where happiness depends upon wealth and circumstance, you supply real joy, an ever-flowing spring from within. This day we reach out to you, O oh Lord, this Sabbath day in worship, knowing that you hold our lives in your hands. We thank you in the name of your son Jesus, the truth teller, our savior, our teacher, who taught us to pray these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Have you ever said, I want the real McCoy? The real McCoy is a term that originated with a Canadian inventor named Elijah McCoy. In 1872, he invented an oil drip cup used in locomotives. Historians tell us that the railroad engineers would ask if a locomotive had a real McCoy installed. Ever since then, people have asked for the real McCoy, meaning that they wanted the real thing. In the 1920s, during Prohibition, another Canadian named Bill McCoy, he became a well-known name in America when his whiskey was smuggled across the border into the country. And soon people everywhere, not just the engineers, were asking for the real McCoy. That expression has been used ever since the end of the 19th century, whenever someone wants the genuine article. 
Now, think about Jesus, the Jesus we read about in the Bible versus the Jesus talked about in our culture. I realized long ago that often the faith that people profess is not, how, how, how should I say this? It's not the faith that Jesus taught about. It's not the real McCoy. Jesus knew that the faith he modeled wasn't understood by most religious people. So he described faith many times during his ministry. His objective was to help his disciples and his followers find God in the midst of the religious crowd that was busy doing religion, too busy to see faith, even when faith was walking right in front of their eyes. Jesus lived by faith. He walked by faith. His willingness to die on the cross was more than just an act of love. His willingness to die demonstrated his faith, his faith in his Father. Jesus believed. He was convinced that his Father would raise him from the grave after his crucifixion. That's what he taught. That's what he preached. And then his faith was vindicated when he rose from the grave. Jesus lived a life of faith. His faith was on display. His ultimate display of faith was his willingness to die on the cross. Jesus lived a life all about faith. And faith is a quality Jesus wants to see in his followers. How did Jesus respond when he encountered other people of faith? I have a few examples. Actually, there are many examples in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples had just left Jericho. On the way, they passed a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. When Bartimaeus realized that Jesus was the one passing by, he didn't beg for food or money. He begged for a miracle. Jesus looked at him and he said, Your faith has healed you. Immediately, the man was healed and he followed Jesus, Jesus recognized the faith of Bartimaeus. It was his faith that moved Jesus to compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion to use his power to heal Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus felt someone touch his clothes. He looked around to see who it was because he had felt healing power being extracted literally from him. The woman knew that Jesus was looking around to see who it was that had touched him. And when she touched Jesus, she was healed of a bleeding disorder that had plagued her and made her life miserable for 12 years. She fell at the feet of Jesus, trembling, worried that maybe she had crossed the line, yet knowing that she had been healed. 
And Jesus looked at her and said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus let her know that she was healed, not only because of the power that he possessed, but also because of her faith. There are dozens and dozens, well, dozens at least, stories like these in the Gospels that testify to the vital importance of faith in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus constantly connected faith to miracles. His words were clear. His teaching was unambiguous. There is no doubt that Jesus viewed faith as a vital component in the overall outcome of life. Okay, does the Bible give any examples of faithless persons stifling the miracles that Jesus performed? Yes. In Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus returned to his hometown in Nazareth, the people there did not accept him as someone other than a carpenter's son. They were unable to look upon their to look beyond their memories of him as a lad or of him working with tools and fashioning a piece of wood into a piece of furniture. They couldn't get past their memories of Jesus before he became famous. He was just a laborer, they said. He never did any of those miracles when he lived here. Those stories we heard about him can't be true. And sadly, their lack of faith resulted in this telling verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. He did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So what did Jesus mean when he spoke of faith? When the religious leaders in Jesus' day spoke of faith, they were talking about following the laws of Moses found in the Old Testament. Their faith goal was to obey the Torah. In our culture today, faith is generally viewed in terms of optimism and hope for a better life. Well, we should not confuse faith with optimism. People can be optimistic and still not have any faith. So let's go to the story that we read earlier from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 24. We can use this story to help understand the faith Jesus so often spoke about. Jesus had just arrived in Jerusalem for the Passover. The people had cheered for him, and he entered riding a colt. They shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After his parade-like entrance, he moved on into the temple courts. I can imagine that soon he was deep in discussions, teaching about faith, but it was getting late. So he and his disciples went over to Bethany, just a couple of miles away. The next morning, after they left Bethany, they saw a fig tree off in the distance. They were hungry, and the fig tree from a distance looked like a good source of delicious figs. 
They were hoping to eat some tree-ripened figs. But wouldn't you know, the tree had no figs, nothing but leaves. Then Jesus cursed the tree. He said, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now that's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. Well, let me suggest that Jesus was not upset with the tree. <laughs> Rather, he saw this as an opportunity to teach. The tree became an object lesson. Jesus often used trees as metaphors to represent people. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, You will know a tree by the fruit it bears. He was obviously teaching about people. Another time he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. There again he was teaching about his relationship with people. So in Mark chapter 11, Jesus was probably teaching about people, most likely religious people who lack understanding about their faith. Jesus used a fruitless fig tree as an object lesson to teach about anemic faith. Jesus and his disciples were hungry. They thought the tree might have fruit, but when they got close, the tree had no fruit, just leaves. The tree looked good from a distance, but close up, it was fruitless. A fruitless tree is useless, except for some shade. It provides nothing to sustain life. So what did Jesus do? He cursed the tree. That way the tree, the tree couldn't fool the next traveler who eyed it from a distance, thinking it had hunger-abating, life-sustaining fruit. Was this a lesson about tree science? <laughs> no. Jesus really wasn't interested in the tree. He only used it to represent religious people whose faith is anemic, fruitless. Jesus was clearly frustrated with the people of Israel who claimed to be God's people. The Jewish folk who focused on religion and ritual and upon themselves. So then it makes sense what Mark, the author, continued to write about immediately. Mark shifted to a scene where Jesus knocked over the, temp over the tables of the religious leaders, I'm sorry, the merchants. He threw out the money changers. He threw them out of the temple. The religious leaders were like the fig trees. They were fruitless. Instead of sustaining the people, the leaders were stealing from the people. The religious leaders ran a perverted system of overcharging. It was naked exploitation. And the leaders had no concern for the lives or the prosperity of the people. They were, in effect, robbers. Jesus knew it. He was angry. But it seems he was continuing the object lesson he started with the fig tree. When he over 
turned the merchant tables and chased away the money changers, he was cutting down the fig tree, symbolically. We're getting to the climax. The following morning, when he was out of Jerusalem with his disciples, they passed the fig tree. And Peter remarked, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And how did Jesus respond? Have faith in God. The object lesson reached its climax. Faith is something that should bear fruit. Powerful, powerful object lesson. So now we need to ask ourselves a question. When you and I say faith, and Jesus says faith, are we talking about the same thing? What did Jesus mean when he told Bartimaeus that his faith had healed him? Faith is when we act like God is telling the truth. Faith is when we do what God wants us, wants us to do, not what we want to do for ourselves. First, our saving faith is understood that we can never earn God's love. Our salvation is a gift from God. We can't earn salvation. And I must mention that salvation happens not only because of grace, but also because of faith, our faith. But saving faith isn't work. Saving faith, faith trusts grace, trusts that grace is enough to reconcile us to God. Our faith trusts that Jesus died on a cross and that his subsequent resurrection from the grave is all that we need to embrace in order for us to inherit eternal life. However, saving faith does not necessarily translate into specific faith. Now that's, that may be a term you've never heard, specific faith. Do you believe that God has the ability to intervene in specific situations in your life? That kind of belief is specific faith. It's faith that changes us. One story from the missionary journeys of Paul was about a crippled man in the city of Lystra, Acts chapter, four, uh, yeah, Acts chapter 14. The man was listening to Paul. Paul saw that the man had faith to be healed. Paul called him out and said, stand up on your feet. At that moment, the man lifted himself up. He jumped up. And he began to walk. The crippled man had a specific need. The man had specific faith, and he was healed on the spot. Paul wrote a lot about faith that changes us. He told the Galatians that they were foolish if after having saving faith, they then try by their own human effort to change themselves. First, we need saving faith. Then we need faith that allows God's Holy Spirit to change us. We need faith that changes us. Now, 
we know that life gets all too real at times. We know what it's like to struggle with faith when certain parts of our lives aren't going so well. Like when there are problems within our families or when our jobs have turmoil or when financial concerns weigh us down when our relationships get tarnished. Anxiety unchecked can take hold of you and bog you down. Faith is the antidote, but like anything else, faith needs to grow and develop. What can we do that will help to develop our faith into a Jesus-like faith? Number one, intimacy with God. Intimacy with God doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. Intimacy with God will cost you something. Well, I'm not talking about money. Intimacy with God can't be bought with money. Intimacy has a price, and sadly, its price is or seems to be too high for many who claim to follow Jesus. What's, what is the price of intimacy? The price is time. Daily, consistent, uninterrupted time for worship and prayer and study of God's word. If you think about it, every relationship is either going forward or backward. Relationships do not stall in neutral. If you don't spend time with the one you love, your relationship will grow colder, it will not grow hotter. That's the way God is with us. There is no neutral zone with God. God doesn't do lukewarm. Number two, learn from God's word. In order for anyone, or even for any living thing to grow, it needs to be fed. For followers of Jesus, our faith food <laughs> is what? It's God's word. Faith food. <laughs> God's word feeds our faith with information that enables us, us to grow spiritually in a manner pleasing to God. When we neglect to study God's word, we can develop a couple of really bad problems. Misbelief, and even worse, unbelief. Unbelief happens when we are either unable or willing to believe God's promises. Unbelief can happen to people who neglect to study God's word. They hear foolishness and nonsense from the godless world around them. And because they lack a foundation grounded in God's word, unbelief can result. Faith can be lost. Misbelief is also unbelief. And misbelief is not a made-up word. You can check it in the dictionary. Misbelief is a real word. Misbelief is all about believing what is not true. When you study God's word, 
ask for wisdom, God's word provides us with the filter that we need and the information from God's word that provides us with wisdom. God's word will enable us if we apply God's word into our lives to have great faith. And faith will allow us to filter out all the godless nonsense that the world constantly promotes. Studying God's word helps us to have accurate faith. Accurate faith. What else can help us to have faith like Jesus? A healthy environment. A sure way to weaken your faith is to surround yourself with unbelief. We have maxims like birds of a feather flock together or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. These are folksy sayings that have an underlying truth to them. An under underlying truth that works with faith also. It is extremely difficult to develop a Jesus-like faith if you are surrounded by unbelief. That's why it's best to avoid hanging out with faithless people. You may even need to limit the time you spend with doubters if they negatively affect your faith. Your environment matters because what you hear often influences directly your life. Jesus understood this. He didn't allow just anyone into his space. We need to do the same. As believers, we need to be a part of a community of believers that will strengthen us. Our closest friends should be those who will enable our faith to grow into a Jesus-like faith. One more obvious one that I would like to suggest and leave with you this afternoon. Reflect on past experiences. And we were doing that at the beginning of our service, doing our announcements. We were doing this. We were reflecting on past experiences. Your faith will be strengthened when you remember past occasions when God revealed himself to you. The same God who moved mightily and faithfully on behalf of his people, Israel, in the Old Testament is the same God who we are serving today. That is why we can find strength in our faith, not only in the stories that we read about in the Bible or stories from the experiences of others, but we can also find strength for our faith from our own experiences. If you look back over your life, you will see evidence, often overwhelming evidence of God's faithfulness to you and how when you listened to the Holy Spirit, you were used to do something remarkable, to make, help make something happen remarkable. These types of experiences are faith enhancers. It's good to remember these experiences in your life and thank God that 
His guiding hand, hand was there to bring you through who you are today and your faith have been molded to a significant degree by God's faithful hand directing you through seasons of life. You have not been on your own. God has challenged you to believe him with the same kind of faith that Jesus had. Which is why Jesus told Peter, have faith in God. His faith was the real McCoy. And his faith, faith like Jesus, is more achievable than you may realize. If you want to have faith like Jesus, then like Jesus told Peter, have faith in God. Amen? Hallelujah. Oh 